0: All right, welcome to Masterclass Theology. We're in Ecclesiastes chapter eight. This is Big Rev. Make you in. I am here, man. All right, good to see. Good to hear your voice. Good to see you. I, I see you kind of on my screen here, I guess, for a little icon, but uh, yeah. All right, so we are in. Yeah, we're in the, our our sixth session, so we're we're nearing the end of Ecclesiastes here. We're on the downward side of the hill, and uh, yeah, we are in. Uh, chapter eight and chapter nine tonight. It's a difficult passage, I thought, but uh, let's uh, let's open up the word of prayer, and uh, we'll sell you forth. Mick, would you mind opening us up?
1: Sure thing. Dad, um, we come before you. and We, we first and foremost want to thank you and praise you because you are God. Um, we thank you because um, you saved us and, and you love us and and uh, and you've reached out to us and, and have, uh, has ca- have called us to life. And, um, and we thank you for that. And, and, and the fact of the matter is we just can't thank you enough for that. But nonetheless, we will live out the rest of our lives thanking you and praising you because you are the great God that you are. Um, I thank you that in light of everything that's going on in the world around us, we know that you are in control. Uh, none of this takes you by surprise because you're sovereign and you knew all of this. And I and I just hope and pray that as that we can learn to lean and trust in you, speak to us through your word, um, and and use Joel and me in a way that will glorify your name. And we pray for everybody that's listening that that you will bless them through your word and through your spirit. And we ask this humbly in Jesus' name, Amen.
0: Amen. You know, it's a lot of a lot of stuff going on in the world right now, and chiefly everyone is talking about the COVID-19 or some people call it the coronavirus. And uh, it's got people who are in their homes and, and listening to podcasts and, and viewing worship services on the internet. You know, what's really cool is that I wonder if the Guinness book of world records will ever record this, but I think the, the weekends in the month of, of, of March and April I think they set like 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 Facebook or live streaming records that all these churches all around the world were streaming their services and so so many streams are going on in terms of the internet and what's really cool about that is if you if you if you look at, if you look at all this kind of through God's eyes look at the gospel proclamation going out there where people are like oh, I don't think I'd ever go to church but you know what I would watch a church service on, on I got nothing else better to do and so some of these people are actually going to church without even set, setting foot in a church. It's just kind of a just kind of taking a step back and looking at history and what God might be doing through this. And wow, I mean, just the gospel proclamation alone uh, with, with Good Friday and Easter is just amazing.
1: Yeah, and not only that, Joel, but I also think that there's people who, you know, we always know that Easter's a time when, when people who never go to church come to church. I mean, Easter and Christmas, right? The only two days of the year that A lot of people go to church, but I have a feeling that this year, even the people who don't go actually checked it out. Mm. Wow.
0: Well, we, we call this class tonight, or this, this session reflections. And I, I I have to admit, Mick, I I had a hard time with this one. There's plenty of texts in the Bible that, you know, I I, I try to study as best I can. And and I usually kind of wrap my mind around the the text and, and God you know, blesses with a, a narrative and a, and a good thing to teach, and boy, tonight, or tonight's class really stumped me. And I was, I was up late last night, like, oh man, I got to get this figured out. And and then finally, I came across something that finally got me, and I finally understand. And the image that I had to have on my mind as we started this, as we start in chapter eight, is that this guy, he understands a king. So even if he's not King Solomon, you know you could say he is or is not, but 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 he understands being around a king, if not being a king, and he understands what the royal court looks like, where there are advisors and and yes men, and you got these people who are there for uh, the advice givers to the king. We see this in the book of Daniel. Daniel would bring in, or the king would bring in all these astrologers and the 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 wise people that, and he would bring these people in to, to kind of you know bounce ideas off of. And I think that's the image we got to go with. And so if we understand, what do you do if you're in a situation with a king who is maybe wanting you to ratify some, some not so good advice, or maybe he's just looking for you to be a yes person and just to go for it. And you know what I said is you ought to get, get behind it and go. And uh, yeah. So That's the image. So, kind of like the royal court. So, this first part's reflections on the king, and it's verses one to ten of chapter eight. He says, "Who is like the wise? Who knows the explanation of things? A person's wisdom brightens their face and changes his hard appearance." So, right away, we get this idea: this guy's this guy is is facing something, and he's got this hard look about him, and he's wanting to have good answers about what to do with with the situation he's in. Obey the king's command. I say, because you took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since the king's word is supreme, who can say to him, What are you doing? Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm, for there is a, and the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every matter, though a person may be weighed down by misery. Since no one knows the future, who can tell someone else what is to come? And no one has power over the wind to contain it. So no one has power over the time of their death. No one is in charge in time of war. So wickedness will not release those who practice it. All this I saw, and as I applied my mind, to everything done under the sun. There was a time when a man lords it over others to his own hurt. Th- then too, I saw the wicked buried; those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this. This too is meaningless. So number one here, Mick, uh, some situations we find ourselves in don't have easy solutions. or neat and tidy. And you kind of get this idea from, one, from verses one and two. You know, you, you, you're in front of the king. You took an oath before the king. So it's kind of like you got to do it. You got to tell the truth. And and Mick, I kind of had a question for you here. So we, we live in, and most of us here live in, in a Western culture, and specifically in the United States of America, where we don't have a king. And it's really tempting here to go, oh, look, it's the state, it's the government. But you know what? Metaphorically, we all have kings, don't we? We all have bosses. And and uh, have you had a few kings in your life, Mick?
1: Yeah. The idea of the king is basically anybody who lords it over you in some shape or form. I mean, we have local government. We have uh, state government. You know, it, it's 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 a lot of authorities, you know. Paul writes about it in Romans thirteen. Uh, Peter addresses it too, and, and he addressed several levels of authorities. Uh, Paul also wrote about that in, in Ephesians as well when he talks about slaves and masters. And if you think about it, the idea of slaves is not like the uh, the usual understanding of what American slavery is. Basically, the work, the wage slave, if you will. Mm.
0: Do not so. Be in so a yeah, the question. We have kings. We have kings, and. We we have somebody. Even if you got a boss at work, you've got somebody that, if you're if you serve under a leader, some leaders are always looking for you to just give them what they're looking for, and mm-hmm. they're they're looking for you know the yes or hey that's a great idea, and we've all heard these horror stories about these leaders that have come crashing down, and and especially here in Chicagoland we've got you know we've got church leaders and some famous ones who have, who who are, had had a great fall. And you just, it just makes you wonder if they didn't have anybody in their life that had the power or the or the opportunity to say, hey, what's going on here? What are you doing? And, uh, and it's very tempting to want to leave and say, you know what, I'm, I'm tired of this. But in verse 3, don't be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Well, and, 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 and don't stand up for a bad cause. He's going to do whatever he pleases. So uh, number two here, wisdom uses tact and understands timing. When you're in a situation that's very, very difficult, understanding tact to know what to say and when to say it or how to, if you have cards to play, when to play them, how to play them, understand the very timing of what you've got to go through that, uh, you know, we kind of live in a culture today that's just very much, they just get whatever off their chest and they just post it on the internet and they're done with it. And then they're very surprised when there's any pushback and tact and timing, I think has gone bye-bye here for a lot of people. Don't be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. And then, uh, since the king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? Wisdom number, number three here understands that opposition requires grace. If you're going to be serving under a boss or under a leader, and you are in a position where you have to disagree with them, do so wisely, do so in a way that shows grace. And just you know what, uh, I don't recommend playing the actually game with your boss. Your boss says something, well, actually, you know, don't make your boss look stupid or silly. Man. And that's what the guy's dealing with here in the text. You you can't tell the king, what are you doing? And so in order to disagree with the king, you're going to have to be, have come up with a very novel way to disagree with the king. I mean, you think about in uh, the Alice in Wonderland, that, that queen of hearts, you disagree with her, it's off with your head. And so what if you have to make a tough decision can you do so with grace? Can you disagree in a way that that shows grace? And, uh, and number four here, in verse uh, verse five, it says, uh, whoever obeys his command will come to no harm, and the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. Well, that kind of brings us back to chapter three. There's a time for this and a time for that. He's kind of revisiting that word here. But wisdom understands that co- that, that opposition requires grace indeed. But wisdom utilizes caution in the midst of obedience. So it's like saying to the king, king, I'm going to obey you because, you know, I kind of want to keep my life, but I'm going to be cautious about it. And I don't know if you've ever faced a situation like that, Mick, where you, you, you did the right thing, but you kind of were cautious about doing or you did what you were expected to do by your superior, but you maybe use some caution or. I, I don't know if it's that that's ever been something you've dealt with. Any any of these uh, ideas here in these first few verses,
1: anything stood out to you? Um, well, what well you said, you pretty much said it for me right there. So that that yeah, you have to uh, you have to use tact when when you're dealing with a boss, especially one that's kind of more of a of a micromanager. Which you, the idea of king is that they tend to micromanage things. Although not necessarily. Some kings were, were, were known for delegating re, really well and, and were successful. You know, one of the things that when you're talking about uh, requiring grace, I also thought that with grace, also humility. And, and the picture that came to my mind was Esther. Every time she approached the king, oh, king, if I found favor before you. Uh, so so there, there's also this sense of humility that you need to have as well.
0: Amen.
1: In verses six to eight here,
0: wisdom understands. Uh, what you can control, what you cannot control. And in verses 6 to 8, he, there's a proper time and procedure for every matter. And though you're weighed down by misery, nobody knows the future. So who can tell what's to come? You know, there, there's things you just don't know. You don't have power over the wind. There's things you have control over and things you don't have control over. And, and this is something, I think we mentioned this in the class before, but I actually deal with this a lot of times when I counsel people, when they come to me for pastoral advice, and for, uh, for, for you know, biblical counsel, there's like, what, what do I do about this situation? I was just talking with a woman this morning. She called me um, and she was talk, wanting to, to talk about her husband and, and, and she was afraid about this or that. And I, and I remember telling her, I said, listen, there, there are things you can control and there's things you can't control. And, and wisdom understands that the things that you cannot control, those are opportunities to trust God. And the things that you can control, those are opportunities to obey God and to give God glory. We talked about this a couple times before, but wisdom understands what you can control and what you can't control. What you have no control over. And if you're an advisor for the King, you have control over the words coming out of your mouth, but you've also have control of your attitude and you have control about how you say those words and how you live your life. And there's things that you just, you just cannot control and you, you submit those things to God and there's things you can control And so you better darn well be obedient to God. You better be glorifying to God. And yeah, uh, I I don't know if that's something that's ever, you've ever come across, make with this whole idea of control. But I I just know for myself, that's a very liberating concept for me to know that, you know what, there's things that I just can't control. So rather than, rather than losing so much sleep over the things I can't control, and never will be able to control the things that are like completely in God's hands. Then, I can focus on the things that I do have some influence over and maybe influence is a better way to put it rather than control. What do you have influence over and what don't you have influence over that would fit into any hierarchy in any company that you're a part of. You have influence and you have, you don't have influence. And uh, I think another
1: thing too, Joel, sorry to interject like that. I I was sending
0: it your way. You're good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The other thing too is not necessarily where you have influence, but also your response to situations. Mm. Look, Good things are going to come your way. Bad things are going to come your way. How do you respond to them? I think that that's very key to this whole argument here about not having control. We don't have control over these things. How do I respond to the situation? Again, going back to what you were saying about the attitude. This is where your attitude is very big in in these matters because you can't control your feelings. You can't control what happens to you, but you do have a choice to respond a certain way, and this is where your attitude is very, very important in this. And, and that attitude needs to be a posture of humility.
0: Hmm. In verse nine, here he starts talking about uh, uh, there's a time when a man lords it over others, and so it's obvious here he's, he's still got the king on his mind. And it, it doesn't take the king to lord it over people, but when you're already a lord, a lord naturally does lord things, and uh he's lording it over other people and the image we're getting here from the text is when you lord it over somebody you're actually trying to you know you you, you're, you you it's okay if you cause pain or you you're making a victim it doesn't matter to you because you're lording it over them it doesn't cross your mind so much but you're getting whatever you want done that kind of image so that would fit a king and a, a life lived for power and control brings corrupting damage even to the self and so he's saying here like you want to if you want to live this way, know that you're going to hurt yourself in the process. And in concluding this section here, even the most wicked of people and kingdoms eventually end. There's no lasting value. He, he says, I saw the wicked buried. And, and then he, he, he gives a picture of a king here. Those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city. So like the, the king would go to the temple and... And then the king would leave and all, all, all hail the king. And everyone stands and the pomp and circumstance. And you can see some people living for that nonsense. And he's, he's just saying, you know what? This too is meaningless. There's no lasting value to this. Eventually the wicked person's going to die too. And uh, you know, a couple of questions here, Mick. The best examples in the Bible were faithful to God in their struggles. That's not really a question, but you think of, uh, oh, I don't know if you can come up with any at the top of your head. You think of a Daniel who was facing something very difficult and he was still faithful to God or you look jo- at uh, Joseph
1: in Genesis.
0: Yeah. That's, that's great. Cause you know, he, he goes through all that stuff and then the, the book of Genesis kind of closes with, with that perspective that, you know, t- him telling his brothers, you meant all this for evil, but God used it for good. Yeah, Yeah. What does God expect of you, Mick, no matter what your situation is, no matter what King you're facing, what does God expect of you? Just simply put, what what is it that God expects of you?
1: God expects me to to trust Him. Mm-hmm. God expects me to be faithful to Him.
0: Amen. Reflections on the King, one to, one to ten here, and uh, the next section is reflections on limits. Mick, that was well put, well said. Faithfulness, you know, there's the old there, there's the old uh, hymn. Uh, trust and obey, and there's a little little story that goes with that. Uh, someone had delivered a fiery message or something, and they, they interviewed somebody in the crowd. He said, what did you get from that? Well, I'm not much of a theologian, but I'll tell you this. I, I, I'm i to trust God, and I'm to obey him. And as the story goes, the hymn writer was right there writing that down. Like, oh, my gosh, that's it. And, uh, you know, trust and obey, There was no other way. And so trust God and obey God. Reflections on limits, 9 to 15 excuse me, 11 to 15. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. Although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, I know that it will go better for those who fear God, who are reverent before him. Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. So I commend the enjoyment of life, because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of the life God has given them under the sun. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the labor that is done on earth, people getting no sleep day or night, then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all their efforts to search it out, no one can discover its meaning. Even if the wise claim they know, they can't really comprehend it. Number one here, he's talking about uh, when a sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out in verse 11. Right and wrong retain their societal value when justice isn't lacking. So it's kind of like you say this is right and this is wrong, and somebody does the wrong thing and, and, and they deserve to go to prison or something, but they never do go to prison. They never do get punished for their crime. When they were convicted of a crime and they never get punished for it, all of a sudden the people start to realize yeah, maybe right is not right or wrong is not wrong. Maybe maybe there's a gray area because this person keeps getting off the hook no matter what. No matter what they seem to be accused of doing, they're always getting off the hook. I can think of plenty of politicians in that regard. I won't go there, but it's just that, that, that there's always somebody, if you're rich enough or powerful enough, that right and wrong or justice just doesn't seem to apply and you can see here the king being the chief kind of legal officer in, in, in ancient Israel. Again, if the king's not doing his job, then people's hearts begin to be filled with schemes here. They, they begin to thinking of uh, how can I get away with this? Cause this guy got away with it. And number two here, the ultimate perspective maker is God. Nothing, nothing earthly can match him. And so a wicked person commits a hundred crimes and, and, uh, and maybe he seems to get off. I don't know, but I know that it will go better for those who fear God, who are reverent before him. Wow. Bringing God in here, Mick, this is really nice where uh, God is the ultimate perspective maker. He's the one who's really setting the table here. And um, what do you think about these two verses here? 11 11 to 13.
1: Well, I'll tell you one thing. One of the things that we need to keep in mind is um, God, God, deals with the wicked in his time. And one of the things that we also need to remember along those lines is that God is being merciful. God is allowing a time of repentance. He probably took the righteous early because the righteous had fulfilled what what God wanted in, the, in that person's life. And the reason he's allowed the wicked to live is because he's yet allowing time for repentance. Um, it reminds me of uh, what Peter wrote in, in his second epistle, uh, chapter 3. Versus uh, I think it's it's um, three, nine onward where it talks about that, that that God is slow to fulfill his promises uh, because he, he's patient and he doesn't want anyone to 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 die without repenting. Um, but rest assured, he He it, it, if you don't repent, it's going to come to judgment at some point. So it's not like they're getting away with it. And, and, and he's affirming that right here in in this proverb, just so a So it's the idea that God God knows what he's doing, and that's just it. He's not like Job's friends that, well, We, if you do everything right, everything's going to go good, you're going to live long. Uh, if you do everything bad, you're going to – that. to to reduce God to something that simple, that's reducing God to a caricature of how he does things. It's also trying to put God in a box, like this is how God works, and he can't step out of bounds. You can't put God in a box.
0: You know, I think that tension there is present in verse 14, where he 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 goes back to that idea of something else is meaningless. there's no lacking value here. When a good when a good guy gets punished and the bad guy the bad guy goes away scot-free, but the good guy gets what the bad guy deserves, and the bad guy gets what the good guy deserves. and uh, sometimes life doesn't make sense. Justice is lacking. And, uh, there just doesn't seem to be any lasting earthly value.
1: Joel, Yo, you still there? Your audio's a little
0: low. Yeah, I'm. I'm hearing some snap, crackle, and pop on, on this line. So I hope we're okay. Yeah. But, uh, that that's that's the beauty. Mick and I are, are recording in two separate cities over our, our phones here. We are completely limited by our technology and what and what uh, what, what what we are allowed to do, kind of using this technology and, and using uh, the the internet right now. Uh, but, you know, sometimes life doesn't make sense, and uh, justice is lacking. There's just no earthly value sometimes. And you see that present in verse 14. And, uh, and I love how he transitions in verse 15 here. Uh, to enjoy life, because there's nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad and find joy in their toil. And so we see here, find purpose in your work and enjoy what it brings. These are gifts from God, and Mickey's bringing this up again. Yeah, this idea that you, you can find purpose in your daily grind, in your daily labors. Your he uses the word toil and uh, in the sweat under the sun, is that like you can find purpose and, and even be able to worship
1: God in the midst of your toil. I think a big thing there, Joel, too, is just how everything comes from God, everything is a gift from God. We saw earlier when we were doing this series, I can't remember which chapter it was now, but where he talks about, I've seen people who have wealth, but they don't have the gift of enjoying it. And these are all separate gifts. There's people that God gives the gift of faith to as well. And not everybody has the gift of faith.
0: Hmm. Joel, you there? I am. I'm. I'm listening. We're good. All right. Cool. Just wanted to make sure. Yeah. I. I was. I was taking it. Taking in your wisdom, and I. Uh, I went. Mm, but I don't think I went mm, loud enough. But no. Uh, that's
1: that's cool because one of the things that we're trying to also avoid is those audible pauses. They kind of sound funny on on these recordings.
0: One of the things that that I'm sure, oh, listener, you like about Mick and I is that uh, we are very clearly a work in progress. There is absolutely no pride here. We. We, we are trying to get this figured out and we're trying to uh, d- deliver deliver God's word to you in, in, in a format that works, especially with social distance issues and all that kind of fun stuff. And uh, yeah, and boy, we continue here with uh, there's so many limits here in these verses. Justice is limited and God is the one that he limits all perspective because no, nothing on earth can possibly match him and uh, life doesn't make sense. And so uh, there's so many things that my, my logic is limited and, and 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 i'm my joy i'm finding joy in in, in just the day-to-day grind i go through and, and my my work and god god limits my frustration because i'm really not frustrated i'm really i'm seeking satisfaction in god because god has provided me an opportunity to work and and finally here knowledge has boundaries at god god is that boundary because he alone understands all we see this in 16 and 17, where he's applying his mind to know everything, know wisdom and to understand all this stuff. But then he sees all that God has done and no one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. They keep trying and trying, but the, but the wise really can't comprehend it when it comes down to it. Only God, there's, there's things that only God understands and that kind of goes back to the control and not control. It's like, you know what, what do I know? And what don't I know? And I'm going to rest with what I do know and I'm going to let God have what I don't know in terms of, of how do I figure out life and the things that I, I'm still trying to learn about life and Mick here the earthly life is inherently limited why live as if, as if this earthy life is the most important thing there's so many limits here to our existence and
1: well, I think part of that well, is- as far as why it's important good. it's just the very fact that God even gives it to us you can't mm-hmm. take that for granted especially when you take into account things Still, stillbirths and, and and abortion. The fact that God gave us this life means that there's a reason for it. Hmm.
0: What's well, it's a good good transition there. Uh, the, the, the most important part about about our existence is uh, if you're living just for the earthly, the, for the temporal, I think you're missing the point. I mean, Cohel has already told us that eternity has been placed in our heart. Even if we don't understand it, it's like it's been placed there. We're we're, we're always, we've been designed as creatures of God to look beyond ourselves. And we're made in his image. We're not made in our own image. And, uh, well, reflections on destiny next. Chapter 9, 1 to 6. So I reflected on all this, and I concluded that the righteous and the wise— and what they do are in God's hands. But no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny. The righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so it is with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil and everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil. There is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterward they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and their name, even their name, is forgotten. Their love, their hate, their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. So number one here, only God is in control of each person's destiny after death. Okay, so it's what they do are in God's hands. So it's just okay. That's it. As long as you believe in God, then then you know that you're you're not God. And so, if you've lived a life that you answer to somebody, and since there is a God, then you answer to Him. And so whatever happens to you, whether you go on to some kind of an afterlife, which I don't think Coelho would even say that. He's just, he just thinking you need to go to the earth. I mean, it's just, everyone's going to the same place. I'm not so certain Koheleth is even going to grant an afterlife. He seems to be agnostic on that issue, Mick. But it's in God's hands no matter what. If there is an afterlife, then God's the one who's going to decide where you go, or if you go, or if you're just worm food. I don't know.
1: Well, but, I, I think there is some acknowledgement because why else would there be a judgment? Hmm. God's yeah. gonna judge the, the, the good and the evil, and if it's based on the way this life is going, off, off of everything Kohelet is saying, it can't seem to be this life that He's talking about.
0: And there's that common destiny. It seems like no matter the type of life that you've lived, death is the destiny of everyone. There's an old joke about uh, basketball players and they have their 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 rookie years they have their prime years and they have their kind of uh, golden years there and then they always say something like you know father time he's undefeated and uh, eventually the body's going to wear down and break down we see this here you know it's it's like death i mean you, you your destiny is you will die and there's nothing you can do to get around that unless you're one of the three or four people in scripture who did not die and were just miraculously taken to heaven uh, that's it. It's like that that you you've died. I mean, you will die, and uh, we 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 imagine someone like uh, Jesus's best friend Lazarus died twice because he got resurrected one time. And so, it's your it's your destiny. It's, it's it's so this this destiny here. Number three, life is a struggle, and people struggle, and evil evil cashes its check and all die. Yeah, evil's gonna get its way. It seems like for a time. And uh, that's in verses 3 and 4. There's evil that happens in everything under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people are full of evil. And there's madness in their hearts while they live. Boy, this seems so kind of, just, just life just seems so pointless, I guess, when it's lived for itself. And this idea of just living this life under the sun, like you're trying to just live for your own things, your your pleasures, and you're maybe living for power, or living for control. All these things you're living for, you just, it's just a mad, angry, wicked life at some point. If you're living for yourself, life is just a very wicked matter. And I th- I, I'm seeing a lot of just, you know, as Koheleth looks at that, I, mean, I, I think there's just kind of a bad taste in his mouth, Nick. What do you think?
1: Well, I think the whole thing even with, with evil references, he's, he's still referring to that curse that, that happened in Genesis chapter 3. Because everything that happens after Genesis 3 has been frustrated now. You know, uh, man was always supposed to work. Man was always supposed to work. God created man to work and to worship. Here, take take this into account. And this is something that um, the great theologian Karl Barth brought up. Man was created on the sixth day, so the first thing he does after that that one day of work, the next day is a day of rest, a day to reflect on God. So what happens is after the sin, after after the eating of the fruit and and the curse to God's place. Work now becomes a thing where now you're going to have to sweat for it. Before you didn't have to sweat for it. Now you do. Everything, all the good things become frustrated. Childbirth becomes a much more frustrating experience for women. These are the things that were not meant to be the way they are. So everything gets frustrated. That means eating becomes a frustrated affair. The good things in life become a frustrated affair. And that's the that's the great evil. talk about the evil, you know, that he sees under the sun, you know, I've, I've done all these constructions earlier in chapter two. I, I've done all these things, all these accolades that I've acquired. Everything is frustrating because that's just the nature. That's the great evil in all of the, these things that we do under the sun. Life is difficult. People struggle. Mm-hmm. Evil
0: cashes its check and all die. But I love how we kind of transition. there's just a little bit of hope here. Where he just he he kind of quotes this proverb that I don't think exists anywhere else. Better a, a live dog than a dead lion, and uh, nobody would ever say a dog is better than a lion in terms of majesty. But you know the lion's dead, and the, the dog's still running around. Yeah. Anyone who is about anyone who's among the living has hope. There's a chance here. Uh, life still brings opportunities for change and newness, and death. Well, death brings nothing. If you're still alive. You still have hope to find perspective in God. You still have hope to find the joy that God expects you to find in the gift that He's given you to enjoy your life, enjoy the things He's given. You still have a chance to change. This is almost like a gospel call. Yeah, it's like you're still your your heart is still beating. It's like I remember uh, I remember doing funerals for people who um, were, were not Christians, and so there's not a lot of joy there. And so, but it makes a it makes a ready-made gospel call. It's like hold on here. I get that we're still we're mourning this loved one or this friend, and we're here to celebrate this life and to, to have perspective, but just remember, you're still alive. It's like you're still here. There's still an opportunity for you to learn this and to and to 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 embrace this uh, this concept that, that this gospel, this this perspective, this. You, you you you're still alive, and I, I didn't preach it that way, but it's just that that's the idea. Is I think Koheleth is talking about this. She's like, but there's still a chance if you're still alive. If there's life, there's a chance, and you have this opportunity here. That death, death just gets rid of all opportunity. There's nothing after death. That's it. Once you're dead, you're you're no longer making a difference. You're dead. There's no opportunities anymore.
1: And you know, and that's true for the righteous yeah. and the unrighteous. Because while you're serving now, you have, while you live now, you can make a difference towards the kingdom. Once you're in the kingdom, there's nothing more you can do for it. But while you're on this eternity, there's things you can do towards the kingdom. You you, could, you can work towards those crowns that God's talking about. You can work either from mm. to be on, I, I I just like to say, put it this way, the gold, silver, or precious stone versus gold. Hay, wood, and straw standards. There, there are rewards, and that <laughs> salvation is a gift. So, there are rewards that God talks about. And again, when you're alive, you can make you still have an opportunity to do something about it. However, that said, the irony of being alive is you also know you're going to die. Yeah, and another thing too, along those lines, you is still um, face that destiny. Where was I going with this? Besides that, oh man, you know what? I'll have to come back to it. It slipped my mind. The, the wood, hay, and straw, precious metals, and we, we, the
0: destiny you were
1: going to. There's pleasures you can well, enjoy I, in I this life, there's, there's too, of... that you can't enjoy in the next life. You know, I mean, Jesus right? talked to, when he was talking to the Pharisees, you know, there's no giving into marriage once you're, a, once you're in, in, in God's kingdom. So there are certain pleasures that we can enjoy in the here and now that are going to be different when we get to heaven. Let's face it, we're, we're speaking with adults here. We can enjoy sex now, people.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and there's got to be at least one listener out there that's really going through something hard, and you're really going through something a struggle, and maybe you feel like you know what I I'm I'm without any hope, I am just so far gone. What, whatever I'm dealing with, there is no more hope. I've maybe you've really you know stepped in something, you've really messed things up, and another generation would say you're in a real pickle or in a bind, and you there are there's still time. And there's still opportunity for you to do the next right thing, for you to submit your situation to God, and to trust his leading, and to trust how he's guiding you and guiding those around you. There's still opportunity for you to confess your sins. There's still opportunity for you to repent of your wicked ways. There's still opportunity of you for you to, to turn back to God and to trust him, to do what King David said, but I trust you, God. I say, you're my God and my times are in your hands. And there's still time for you to do what John the Baptist said in Luke 3, to produce fruit with keeping with repentance. It's not too late for you. It's not too late. There is hope. There's still hope. There's still a chance for you to to once again show faithfulness towards God. You still have opportunities to sing a song of praise with your very life. Your marriage still has hope. Your relationships still have hope. Your, your, Your testimony at your job still has hope you still have an opportunity to give god glory with the events of your life just because you're in this bind right now it does not mean that life has no hope and that that's the great image i'm getting from this is that once you're dead that that, that whole that whole image of opportunity is gone that you're yeah. it's just casket time but while you're still alive you still have a chance you still have an opportunity seize that opportunity give god glory it's, it's if, it wasn't, if it wasn't too late for the thief on the cross next to Jesus, it's not too late for you. And honestly, if you're stuck at home with this COVID-19 and you're still stuck at home, what an opportunity to look at your life. If you ever wonder about what kind of, a, uh, in my case, I'm a husband and a father. Well, how, what kind of a husband and father am I? Well, I have a great experiment before me. I'm around my wife and kids like all the time now. And so I'm able to see Am I loving my wife as Christ loved the church? Well, here it is. I'm always by my wife. Or am, am I not exasperating my children? Here they are. It's like we have a great, you know the things you need to work on. And that's why quarantine time is, is, is actually a blessing. It's just you get to see the things in your life that you need to submit to God. And they're front and center. And we begin to think about purpose here. And, uh, and in 7 to 12, we kind of finish it out. Kohelith is just kind of you know waxing philosophic as he likes to do. Go eat your food with gladness. That's that's a great verse, Mick. Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. We kind of get this idea from Psalm 23. He anointeth my head with oil. So this he's he's talking joyful images here. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life and your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, where you are going, mind you, where you're going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not, and people know this verse. This is something that you'll find. Uh, The race is not to the swift, or the battle to the strong nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the the learned but time and chance happen to them all moreover no one knows when their hour will come as fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them purpose make since death awaits us all seek joy where is to be found And God delights in this. Do you like that idea, Mick, that God actually delights in the fact that we find purpose in our joy?
1: Yes. (laughs) I like the fact that God wants. (laughs) Yeah, I'm still here. Are you still there? All right, cool. You you, you were saying, I
0: like the fact that God. I said, I
1: like the fact that He he likes us to have a measure of happiness in this life. He didn't create this life so that it it is visible. This is not why He created this life. Number two here in verses uh, eight
0: and nine. The perspective of, rejo- of rejoicing throughout the seasons of life is to be your identity. This idea of always be clothed in white and anoint your head with oil and enjoy life with your wife is like this very life that you live is to be characterized by joy. And uh, so we're not surprised. Uh, I've got this at the bottom of the worksheet here. Not surprised when we Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Or in First Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's like you have a wallet or a purse, and in that wallet or purse is an identification card. For most of us, it's a driver's license or some kind of a state ID card. What's your ID as a Christian? Your identity is joy, that you're finding joy even in the midst of the season you're in. And the struggle you're in, you're finding joy, even though you're going through trials, as James one would like to say. The perspective of rejoicing through the seasons of life is to be your identity, and uh, live life with dedication while you indeed are still living. I love that. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it, because uh, when you when you're dead, there's no more doing. There's no more there's no more planning or anything like that. So you have a chance to live life. So live it truly with that identity and with that purpose, with that kind of dedication. You still have a chance to live this life the, the way God wants you to live it, Mick. So I think I ought to do it, right? Absolutely. Well, we got a closing point here. Life can be unpredictable and unforeseen things can happen beyond our control. And uh, that, that's the image here we've got of, you know, This closing idea, the the race is not to the swift, all these things he's putting in here, the swift, the strong, uh, the wise, the brilliant, these are things people are striving to become. They want to be known as I'm the strong guy, or I'm the fast guy, or I'm the smart guy, or I'm the learned guy, all these things. But that person that's good to strive for those things, that person doesn't always win. It's like all, all of a sudden unpredictable things happen. And you just have to roll with those punches. Life can be unpredictable and unforeseen things can happen. They're just beyond our control. There's just nothing we can do about it. And life sometimes catches us like you're a fish caught in the net or you're the, the, the bird in the, in the, in the trap.
1: And, it sounds um, a lot like these days. I don't you
0: Say that again, buddy?
1: I mean, whoever saw this COVID-19? Hello? Oh, yeah. I mean, whoever saw this COVID-19, here we are. Whoever thought that I'd, I, you know, a lot of us would, would look at how the streets are right now. Nobody's out there. Look at the fact that we can't right. even get together in church. These are things that none of us saw happening. I mean, we're living this right now as we speak. Yeah. Life So make we'll Life is asking, unpredictable. And nobody foresaw this coming. And it is beyond our control.
0: It is. Well, it seems like Kohalath kind of saw something yeah. coming. In terms of, or either that or his words are timeless and they, can, they kind of fit any generation if you really stop yeah. and think about it. But uh, let's have a closing word here. So what is to be your purpose, your fundamental approach to life? So what what would you say, make that uh, Kohalath would tell us um, as, as we're going through this uh, COVID-19 quarantine, as the news media is beginning to tell us that maybe maybe uh, when we get to the month of May, things might start to open up again, what, what is our purpose in the midst of this quarantine we find ourselves in? In the midst of the stay-at-home orders, in the midst of the social distancing, in the midst of all this thing we have to go through right now, our new reality, what, is our, what, what do you think CoHealth would tell us, make, about our purpose and our fundamental approach to life?
1: I think the first thing he'd tell us is to fear God. I mean, it's, it's been the, the thrust of this book all along. Fear God. Um, along with that, as you fear God, knowing that you can't really control anything and that nothing else in life is fulfilling per se, enjoy what God gives you. Enjoy that that good uh, meal. Enjoy that good drink. And Enjoy the good company you have you know, uh, and just just let God handle what, what, what is his, and you just worry about what he is he giving you. He gives you a gift, enjoy it. I mean, have you not given gifts to people only to realize that they, they don't enjoy it? Isn't that like the worst? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so en- enjoy the life and- that God has given you. You know, make the most of every opportunity. Again, there's a wealthy person who can't enjoy it. Enjoy what you got. I'll, I'll close with this perspective. At
0: my my my, my son's birthday was today, and, and he wanted he I, we 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 let him we let him pick out a birthday dinner. And he said, I said, "What do you want, son?" He says, "Well, I I either want Taco Bell or Thai food." And and for some reason, right now, Taco Bell is huge for him. And he's just he's eight years old, and he's just. He's like I really I really want Taco Bell, but I also really want Taipu. So you just figure it out. So and it was just we're trying to make a little fun memories for him, even though we can't have family over, even though we have to kind of celebrate and make a cake ourselves and kind of figure this out. I was talking to someone the other day um, who was uh, who was struggling with this quarantine. He he's actually a high school history teacher, and he has all these you know, 170 students he has to teach by remote you know distance learning, and and he's wondering about. He's home with his kids all day, and he's wondering about. Um, if, if his kid's doing okay and, and if he's going crazy at home, and I had to remind him, I said, Hey, most likely, as messed up as this quarantine has been, as, as so, a, you know, atypical the way we exist, most likely this period is going to be what your young children are going to remember the rest of their life. They're going to look back at this time where they had mom and dad like all the time and they went to school on over the internet. They're going to look back at this time as the good old days, and they're going to fight to the death to protect this memory as probably their best memory. And they're they're going to remember this time of your great frustration as some of their greatest fun. This is like the ultimate of road trips, Mick. This is like constantly being with a family. Yes, I know it's, and it's its own trial. But I can imagine looking back one day and go, wow, was that great? And that's the perspective we've got. We're still alive. Yeah we still have the opportunity to give God glory now to find our purpose in him and to have joy, God given joy, even in the midst of a COVID-19 quarantine. And
1: again, there's something we can contribute on this side of eternity to the kingdom that we're not going to have the opportunity later, whatever eternal life is going to be like. And I know it's going to be a state of, eternal, of, of bliss and everything. There's things that we do now that, it, that, that's going to have ripple effects going into it. Mm. Yeah, amen
0: Well, well, Mick, we'll give you the last word. We'll wrap this up. This has been Masterclass Theology from Ecclesiastes eight and chapter nine. And uh, thanks for joining us tonight. And we'll continue next week. God bless.
1: Amen to that. And it, again, people, keep trusting God. All of all of this, and He loves us more than than, than we more than we love ourselves and more than we can ever imagine. Uh, God bless.